place to rest your bodies. Man, I am excited uh, about what God's been doing this weekend and about what he's continuing to do. Um, my name is Charles, and I pastor here at Faith Church. Um, uh, we have been uh, having good things happen over the past four days that you've been with us, and uh, we're just hoping and praying that it continues in our service uh, this morning. Uh, we have Michael Roundtree here, and he is going to bring a good word for us, um, and we just want to be open to what the Spirit wants to do. We want to be open in our prayers. We want to be open in our worship. We want to be open as the Word, and whatever ministry God wants to do afterward, we just want to be open. I just want to give a couple of announcements for the people of faith. Um, I need to clarify the dates on VBS because last week my wife got them wrong when she announced them. In her defense, I gave her the wrong dates to announce. So yeah, I don't know who's to blame here, but uh, uh, so it's actually, it's not, it's June 23rd through the 25th. We're doing it camp style while we're here on Friday, all day Saturday, and then Sunday morning with a, uh, uh, a meal and uh, water slides and things to follow after that. So that's actually June 23rd through the 25th, so you can mark that on your calendars, our Vacation Bible School. The theme this year is Keepers of the Kingdom. It's going to be, okay, how is God, uh, how does the kingdom of God uh, make its way here on earth, and how do we steward it and, and be people who, kids, the kids, how do they lead, lean into it and, and lead from there? Uh, the second thing that I have is that uh, if you have signed up for 50 weeks in the Word, uh, you can get your next two months of uh, chapters and verses on the connect wall um, on the back, and uh, you can be a part of what we're doing there. With that in mind, if you'll stand with me. For our visitors, uh, this, is a, this is a faith church in-house type of thing. Um, uh, we do a, for our biblical discipleship for the year, we have chosen... We have chosen 50, 50 chapters from the Bible. And we had people sign up and they say, will you commit to our 50 weeks in the Word? And the commitment was to uh, every week you get one chapter. Read that chapter every day. Every week you get one verse. Memorize that verse for that week. And then we have a Wednesday night Bible study and the, the chapter is taught at that Wednesday night Bible study through a, from a rotation of teachers. And then what we do is we, uh, we uh, recite the verse that uh, God has given us for that week. We recite it on Sunday morning. So that's what we're going to do now. So if you're a guest, don't worry that you haven't memorized it. You didn't know it was coming. Uh, for those of you who did not commit to this at faith, don't feel condemned. Don't worry about it. Uh, just if you want to join us, it's always open and free. And uh, as I'm looking around, uh, there's uh, not as many faith people here uh, right now, so you're going to have to say the verse extra loud and with more confidence. So if you flash it up there, just again, really quick. All right. 
So, uh, oh, sorry, one, two, three. So, Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, as it is said, the uh, mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I got that, 22, 14. I got that second part wrong twice. I get so nervous. Like I memorize it and I get up here and my mind just goes blank. All right. Father. We want you to do what you want to do. We don't want to hold anything back. Don't want to hold anything back. We don't want you to hold anything back. Lord, we want you to be glorified. And as you're glorified and you're enthroned here and as you're in our midst because we are gathered here and you you promise that you'll be with us, you're with us. It's not a fact of emotionalism. It's a fact of the word. It's not a matter of of whether we feel you or not. Your word promises that you are here right now. And so God, let it be, let it be evident in our hearts and our minds, deep in those deep recesses of who we are. Let us know you. We worship you, God. We exalt the Son, and we are open to the Spirit. So, Father, you have your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I welcome you as well. I'm Amy, and I get the honor and privilege of leading worship here. And I was telling in the first service that I felt like the Lord was saying he wanted to stretch our faith this morning. So are you ready? Are you moldable? Are you ready to be stretched? All right, let's let faith rise in the room. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Come and increase our faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith in the Son of God. God, give us more than that mustard seed faith. Increase our faith. And God, let it happen even as we're singing. So whatever you're praying for, how many of you have been praying? Y'all been praying for this day? Yes, if you pray in faith, believing, then, then the Lord says you can have it. So I just pray right now that our faith, as we sing the lyrics of these songs, is just rising up in us. Let's do it, church. Come on. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus.
praise you again and again Cause all that I have is a
hearts right now. We give you our surrender. We give you our yes. transcends the heart and the mind and it starts coming out of our mouth as we declare your goodness, oh God. Rise up, lions. Rise up, lionesses. Remember, sometimes you have to speak to your soul and remind your soul, oh, yeah, come on, soul, rise up. Rise up.
Lord, you said, whatever you ask in my name, in the name of Jesus, that I will do, I will, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. They returned and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The apostles pray and they say, while you stretch your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Jesus, your name is power. It is healing. It is life. It is redemption. It is glorification in the future, Father. It is all of these things. Your name. So, Father, let all we do this morning be done in your name, through your name, with the power of your name. Make us aware, Lord of what you want to speak to us, what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may have a seat. I see that we have some kids up here. Uh, Normally when we have kids, Michael, I'm going to reach right under you. Uh, Normally when we have kids up in the service and we're not offering uh, our faith kids Sunday school, we have some coloring for them. So if any kid, kid, all right, if you're in the youth group or older, it's not for you, but if any kid wants something to color with, you can come on and come get it. Just Roman? Just Roman? Any of our visiting kids? No. Oh, yeah, come on up. Come on up. You don't have to be afraid. I know you don't know me, but it's okay. You don't have to be afraid. I promise. There you go. All right. Wow. Okay. The oldest kid that we have here. All right. Hey, boys. There you go. There you go. Yeah, when you're done, you can just leave the clipboards on your seat, and um, I'll make someone pick them up. Man, I'm excited to have Michael Roundtree here with us this morning. Um, The Remnant Radio podcast has uh, really put some structure and some uh, good theology behind the gifts and the Holy Spirit and things that we are seeing. Um, When when I've taught the gifts uh, to my church, um, when because you know we teach, we've taught prophecy here, we teach. Uh, healing, deliverance, tongues. We teach all the gifts, miracles, faith, um, all of them. Uh, if they had an episode on it, that would be one of the things that I would use as a resource. I'd go there and be like, okay, what am I saying wrong and how do I clarify what I'm saying? Right? Because I was new to all of this stuff, so I would just kind of say what seemed right. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't know if that language is actually right. And then so I'd listen to uh, Michael and Josh and uh, Michael Miller, and they have been a huge influence, and we are just happy to have him. So, Michael, why don't you come on up, and this pulpit is yours. Why don't you give God a hand clap for Michael this morning? All right. Good morning. How are you guys doing? All right. Well, I'll try to make it this morning so the adults aren't asking for coloring books, too. Well, uh, yeah, my name is Michael Rountree. As he said, it truly is an honor to be in this church. And I love Charles and Lauren, and they've been uh, 
got to know them a little bit beginning a few years ago through the podcast and have stayed in touch and uh, just really believe the, the Holy Spirit is blessing them and their leadership and, uh, and this church. So excited about that. And I see some uh, conference faces in here too. So uh, excited to be here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 talking about Pentecost. What do you think? How's that sound to you? All right. So uh, I'm going to uh, begin with a word of prayer and then we'll jump in. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you that you first loved us. We thank you that you demonstrated your love for us and that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We thank you that this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We thank you that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that you have poured out your uh, love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom you have given us. We thank you for these precious promises in your word and for your lavish generosity and giving us of yourself. You are a giving God. Lord, we, uh, we pray in this time together, Lord, that as I speak, that my words would be your words and that you would open up our hearts to receive them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Anybody here seen the movie Jesus Revolution? Anybody? It's a good movie, isn't it? Yeah, really enjoy that. Encourage you guys to go out and see it. It's probably just going to be in theaters for a short time uh, further. But um, I, I think it's interesting just the timing in which it comes out just a few weeks after just what happened at the Asbury Revival. You, have you guys followed that? Of course, even at the Asbury Revival, they're like, don't call it a revival. Call it an outpouring. And everybody's like, is it a revival? Is it an outpouring? Is it an awakening? Is it a this? Is it a that? And I don't care what you call it. The Holy Spirit is doing something there, and, uh, or at least it started there. Now it's spreading. In fact, I saw this in Christianity Today that they're seeing similar outpourings at Lee University, Sanford University, Baylor University, Belmont, Campbellsville, Hannibal LaGrange, Valley Forge, Milligan, and here's the most recent one, Texas A&M, a secular uh, university experiencing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Praise God, and we say more Lord. Yeah, well, this uh, Jesus revolution based on the revival that took place in the 70s when the hippies were all drugs and free love and all of this and all the mamas were praying uh, for their kids and God answered the prayers and he baptized thousands of these hippies and, uh, and really kind of the leader of it, the, the, one of the main characters in the movie Jesus Revolution and just a real catalyst, his name was Lonnie Frisbee. You heard that name before? So Lonnie was a bit of a Samson-like figure who had uh, very high highs and very low lows. And, uh, and just like Samson, God used him powerfully. And, uh, and so the movie details that movement in more like the 70s, but, uh, but God continued to use him. And, uh, and I'm about to show you a clip uh, from May 11th, 1980, Mother's Day at the Anaheim Vineyard of John Wimber's church. Now, John Wimber's kind of a spiritual hero to me, and he was sort of the leader of the, the vineyard movement and saw just tons of uh, miracles, signs, wonders, had a profound healing ministry, led to uh, tons of conversions in his life. Uh, just God used him in really powerful ways. 
and it started here May 11th, 1980, through a powerful move of the Spirit. That morning, this was back in the day when everybody had Sunday night services, so in the morning they had their service, and uh, these days we're like, ain't nobody got time for that, I guess, I don't know, we don't do it anymore, but uh, in the morning service, they, uh, they're meeting, and the Holy Spirit tells John, ask that guy to preach tonight, and he looks over, and it's, and it's Lonnie, looking all hippie. And he's like, oh, Lord. And so he has this little inner debate, but he asks Lonnie to preach that night. And so this clip that I'm about to show you is Wimber sort of explaining his trepidation coming into this. Like, what's he going to say? And, just, and so he tells the story of, of kind of how he felt coming into it and then what happened. So uh, if you could direct your attention to the screen. To church that night, and I <laughs> we worshiped extra long. <laughs> I found a lot of announcements that needed to be made, but I, I and as long as I stretched it, it was still time. And so he's sitting there all bright and alert, like a kid at his birthday party. And I'm thinking, Oh, you know, he looks harmless enough. All right, come on up. So he comes up and he starts speaking, and I sit down over in the side. And, uh, and I'm listening to him, and, and it's great. You know, I mean, it's, I'm thinking, what was I worried about? He was funny. He's giving his testimony, and, and there's pathos in it. You know, and there's time to weep a little bit, and you, you know, and, he, and you, you know, salute a couple times, and, he, and he's telling you some great verses, and you're laughing, and just having a wonderful time. I'm thinking, what was I worried about? This is great. You know, God, you're so good. And then he does the weirdest thing I've ever even heard of. <laughs> Everything's going good, you know, and all of a sudden he stops and he says, well... That's it. He said, you know, the church has been offending the Holy Spirit a long time, and uh, he's, he's quenched, but he's getting over it, and we're going to invite him to come and minister now. Come, Holy Spirit, and whammo! <laughs> the Spirit of God comes, and people start fighting. Well, first of all, he says, everybody 25 years and under, come forward. Well, in our church, that's everybody. You know, <laughs> they're, you know they're all coming up there. And there's hundreds of them up all crowded around the stage. And he says, come, Holy Spirit. And the next thing I know, people are falling and bouncing in there. And they're laying on the floor and they're talking like turkey. And one kid, he falls. One kid, he falls. And the microphone falls with him. You know, and it's laying right in front of his face. And he's speaking in tongues, you know. I mean, I'm not talking about two minutes. I'm talking about 45 minutes he's talking through that microphone. And we're wading through bodies, you know, trying to get over to him. And we can't get the microphone off, and we can't get to him. And Lonnie is going like a banshee. You know, he's running through the crowd and raising his hands. And, you know, and I'm thinking he's pushing people over. He's knocking them down. But he's not even touching them. He's walking by them, and they're going wham, wham, you know, and falling everywhere. And I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, get me out of here. And people are grabbing their Bibles and going, not me, I'm not. And they're going out the door. Some of them I never have seen. That was four years ago, you know. Okay. That they went out the door. <laughs> so there you go. There's John Wimber. He, he's like a Santa Claus, isn't he? Yeah, so um, one, one thing to understand, because I, I can actually imagine myself watching this clip uh, years ago, and I would be like, wait a minute, you let uninterpreted tongues go on for 45 minutes, you let mayhem break out, God's a God of order, you know, and so on. I can imagine myself, but here's what you have to understand as you're watching this, is that 
Wimber himself, was com- he was completely unprepared for this kind of thing to happen. He had no grid for what do you do when tongues breaks out in a church. This was not something he had pre-thought about. And so, you know, he, you heard him in the clip. He's like, I was just trying to get out of there myself. So he's completely, and it took him years to kind of develop his theology and understanding of how uh, this is to, uh, to, pra- to be practiced. But uh, that, that sort of underprepared state that he was in, uh, it actually caused him, when, when, when he went home later that night, he went home angry. He was mad. He started complaining to God. God, why would you, I thought you told me to invite this dude to church. I don't know if I need to change microphone. There we are. Okay, and he says, and then, uh, and then this happens, and, and now you're going to split my church. Like, why did you set it up this way? Why would you do this sort of thing? And this reveals a truth about any time the Spirit moves. Whenever the spirit really moves in power, it reveals the state of our hearts. When the spirit moves in power, it reveals the state of our hearts. You're actually seeing this right now and just what happened at Asbury. And people are, are looking at that and they're like, oh my gosh, all these Gen Zers praying and worshiping Jesus. It's the devil. <laughs> you know. And they're standing off like this and they're skeptical. And so today, as we talk about Acts chapter 2 in this move of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, I, I want us to be able to walk this narrow road between skeptical on one side and gullible on the other. We don't want to just believe everything just because people are falling out and shaking and screaming. All, like, we don't want to say, well, that's automatically the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people can make stuff up. Sometimes the devil moves. I mean, sometimes the Spirit. So, so we don't want to go to gullible and everything is the Spirit. We don't want to be skeptical and nothing is the spirit. We want to actually know how to discern. And the tools for discernment are right here in Acts chapter 2. And this is, uh, this is something that's uh, particularly important for me because I, uh, I was saved in a church that was what you might call charismania. It was mayhem every week. And uh, praise God, I got saved in it. And, uh, but, but when I went to college, I... I kind of buckled the seatbelt on <laughs> and stopped believing, actually, that a lot of that stuff still happening in tongues, prophecy, healing. All, I was just good without that. Thank you very much. And I was over here, and the Lord sort of brought me full circle where, uh, where I, hope I'm, I hope I'm walking that narrow road between skeptical, gullible, discerning. And so I want to give you some tools for that today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2, as I've said. So um, if you could, why don't you uh, stand for the reading of God's word. It says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea or Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. 
And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. The word of God. You may be seated. So the way we're going to break down this passage is into two parts. The first four verses, we're going to look at the purpose of Pentecost. And then the remaining verses, we'll look at the response to Pentecost and make some applications about our own responses to any move of the Holy Spirit. So we'll begin with the purpose of Pentecost, uh, which I interpret to be this from the text, and I'm about to show you why I interpret it this way. But the purpose of Pentecost is this, to create a new temple for God's Spirit to dwell in. To create a new temple for God's Spirit to dwell in. So, uh, so God... God's presence used to be, I mean, God's omnipresent. He is infinitely present in all places at all times, and yet he manifests his presence in certain times and places. And so early in Israel's history, it was in the tent-like structure called a tabernacle. Then it became a temple. But after the work of Jesus, it launched this brand new age where God was building a brand new temple. And so that's what we see happening here at Pentecost. And we see this communicated through four manifestations that we'll walk through one by one. Here they are, a windy house, fiery tongues, spirit-filled believers, and Holy Spirit babble. Okay, a windy house, fiery tongues, spirit-filled believers, and Holy Spirit babble. So beginning with the windy house, I'm going to read again verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So that word, uh, suddenly, uh, in the John Wimber translation, is whammo. <laughs> okay? Sometimes you pray and you labor in prayer for something, and it seems like it's taken forever, and then suddenly God moves. And some of us are praying for that thing right now. Don't give up hoping for it. Sometimes God can suddenly move on something that you've been laboring in prayer for. In fact, it's a story in my life. I labored in prayer for 10 years for my wife to be healed of glaucoma. And then suddenly, she goes to the doctor. The doctor says, you have no trace of glaucoma. This never reverses. And, and it was one of those suddenlies. And you probably have some of those stories too. But suddenly, God breaks in. And these people have been waiting. They've been praying. They've been waiting. They've been praying. And suddenly, God breaks through. And it says, from heaven. This mighty rushing wind comes through from heaven. And the last time we saw those words were when Jesus ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. It looks like this. They were gazing into heaven as he went. Behold, two men stood by them in, in robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Four times in two verses. Okay, so Luke is making an emphatic point, and his emphatic point is this Jesus whose presence you have so loved over this last three years as you, as you served and ministered with him, and you've watched the kingdom breaking out through him, this Jesus physically is going to be gone. He is going into heaven, but now we see from heaven the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's the first time we see that language of heaven since chapter one. And what it's communicating is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is the direct outcome of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. He ascends in order to pour out the Holy Spirit. This is why it says in John 7, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. 
It wasn't until Jesus' glorification on the cross and then ultimately in his ascension that he could pour out his spirit. doesn't mean that the spirit didn't work before that in the Old Testament. He did, but Jesus is inaugurating a brand new age, and that age is to be rich with the presence of his Holy Spirit. There's such a close connection between the second and third persons of the Trinity. Of course, the Trinity is one God and three per, in three persons. But you'll see in the rest of the book of Acts that at times the Holy Spirit would be called the Spirit of Jesus or at times the Spirit of Christ. Now we need to be uh, careful to avoid an error that would suggest that the Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus. No, there are distinctions in the persons of the Trinity. Um, there, there are distinctions. So the Holy Spirit is not the same as Jesus, even though he is one with Jesus. So why is he called the Spirit of Jesus? Well, Acts 2 shows us why. Because he comes from Jesus. And not only does he come from Jesus, also communicates Jesus. He, says, he comes to glorify Jesus. This is why some theologians will refer to the Holy Spirit as the shy person of the Trinity, because he's always making much of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And if you're afraid of the Holy Ghost, if you're afraid of, the, uh, of any kind of movement of the Spirit, just know that, that the Holy Spirit, his job is not just to make our meetings all crazy. No, the Holy Spirit's job is to make much of Jesus. That's what he does. He comes from Jesus, and he communicates Jesus. We have nothing to be afraid of. Now, why is, uh, why is this manifestation of the Holy Spirit that comes suddenly and from heaven, why, why does he manifest as wind and inside of a house? Let's look at that a little bit. First of all, he manifests as wind because wind is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit throughout the scripture. You see this, for instance, in John chapter three where Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes, so it is for those who are born of the Spirit. And so he compares, just, uh, he compares the blowing of the wind to the, uh, to the sovereignty of the Spirit as he moves amongst us. Okay, so this is a common biblical metaphor for the Spirit. But why a house? It's interesting that it's, in a house, they're in the upper room of a house. Uh, and the reason it's interesting is that any Jewish person at the time would have expected this sort of thing to happen in the temple, because that's God's house. And that was the language throughout the, whole, the Old Testament, was the tabernacle was God's house. The temple was God's house. But now God's creating a new house. And in creating a new house, he's rejecting his old house because the religious aristocracy has turned his house of prayer into a den of robbers. And so he rejects the Jewish liturgy and, and the Jewish temple and the Jewish way of, of, of worshiping God in this particular location, and he says, I'm breaking out from there. And in fact, that was never God's desire to start with. God's desire was never to dwell in a man-made structure. His desire was to dwell with us. And so that is why through the work of Jesus, he's creating a brand new temple. So the spirit will no longer be confined to a structure in Palestine, but it'll be in, a, uh, it'll be in the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day in Statesville. And on the Lord's Day throughout all over and wherever the Lord's people gather. If it's a gymnasium in Anaheim, California, wherever we are, that's God's temple because we are where he wants to be. This is the work 
of Jesus. It's what he's doing through his blood. He purified our hearts so that the Holy Spirit could come on, come into us, and that we could be a people fit to house the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ dwells in you. You, you individually are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The scripture will talk that way. But more importantly, corporately together, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that is the work that God is doing. It's why he doesn't manifest himself in the temple. He's rejecting the old way and he's doing a brand new thing. Second manifestation to talk about is fiery tongues. Okay, so tongues of fire. Let's uh, read verse three. It says, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. That's a little weird, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you love to just see that? Like, what is that thing over your head, buddy? Uh, tongues of fire rested over their head. And, and here's just one thing we need to take to heart. Just because it's weird doesn't mean it's not the Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit does things that we would consider weird. And there was a time in my life where my barometer for is it of God or is it not of God was basically, is it weird? Okay, it's the devil. Is it, or is it not weird? Is it completely normal and allow me to do everything I want to do exactly how I want to do it? Okay, then it's of God. <laughs> that was basically, that's basically how I thought. Okay, so, so this is a little weird, but tongues of fire appear over their heads. So why, why fire? I mean, this is all throughout the scripture. Fire represents God's consuming, fiery presence. But, but probably most importantly, we think of uh, if, if we're reading Acts, Acts was written by Luke. Luke also wrote, imagine this, the book of Luke. <laughs> it's volume one of this two-volume set. And in Luke chapter three, he tells the story of John the Baptist. And John is preaching, repentance, revival's breaking out, and uh, wonderful things are happening. And John says, hey guys, it's not, about, not all about me. Don't make much of me. There's one coming after me whose, uh, whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I baptize you with water, but he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit and what? And fire, absolutely. And in that same context, he goes on to say that uh, God is separating the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff will be burned in unquenchable fire. So when we see this fire over the, the head of the 120, when the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes them, we can't not think of John the Baptist saying the Holy Spirit will baptize, or Jesus will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There, the fire comes. Yes, it's God's consuming and fiery presence, but it comes in the context of judgment. And I, and I just want to warn anyone here that if you've not repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, that same fiery judgment awaits you. That same unquenchable fire awaits you. And the question remains, how is it that these disciples were not consumed by this fire, and the answer is this. Jesus was consumed for them. Jesus was consumed for us. Jesus on the cross took the fiery wrath of God upon himself because God's heart is not wrath. His heart is to give mercy. It's why it says in James 2, mercy triumphs over judgment. That is always God's desire God wants you to be saved. God wants you to experience his mercy. And so we, what we have here is a little bit like the burning bush where the bush was, was, burned but, was burning but not consumed. 
And it created almost like this little mini temple where the Lord says, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. Well, in the same, uh, in the same way, fire burns over the apostles' heads. They're able to enter into and experience and enjoy the fiery presence of the Holy Spirit and yet without being consumed because Jesus was consumed for them and for us. God's fiery presence. But now this brings us to why tongues? Why are they fiery tongues? And I, I think the most immediate reference point for this is they're about to speak in tongues, and there's sort of a parallel and a connection there. Um, I think it could be that there's an additional connection point. In the average Jewish person's mind, uh, just like uh, these days, there might be a certain show or a certain movie or a certain book that everyone's read or watched or whatever. Uh, it was the same way in ancient times, and they had a lot fewer options. So um, it was funny. These days, uh, it's actually less like that. When I was growing up, everybody watched Seinfeld and Friends, and we would just talk about those episodes. These days, these kids have so many things to watch. Anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> Back then, there were not very many options, and uh, anyone who could read would have read the book of First Enoch, um, which was not part of the, it's not part of the Bible, it's not the authoritative word of God, but it was reading material for the day. And uh, if they hadn't read it, they would have known about it just from other people talking about it. And, uh, and one of the scenes in First Enoch, I just think this is interesting, and I, and I think that it is applicable as well, is that, and, and this would have, just in the Jewish minds, this would have they would have been knowledgeable of this. Um, there's a, a scene where Enoch is caught up into the heavenly temple, and, uh, and the heavenly temple is described like this as being, quote, surrounded by tongues of fire. And then he goes into the holy place of the temple, and as he goes into the most holy place, do you know what the most holy place is constructed of? It is, quote, built by tongues of fire. And so you see this language of tongues of fire was not completely foreign to the average Jewish person. They were familiar with this kind of language. And if that is what Luke is working with, then what he's communicating is those tongues of fire that make you think about God's heavenly temple, well, it's like the Holy Spirit is saying this, that heavenly temple has now descended on you. Now you are that temple. God is doing a brand new thing. No longer that Jewish temple brick and mortar inside of Palestine. Now you are that temple. We are where he wants to be. And now we move to the next image here of verse 4, that of spirit-filled believers. Spirit-filled believers. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit in the first part of verse 4. And when we read that language of they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, we should immediately think, uh, first of all, of when the tabernacle was completed and, uh, and as soon as it's completed and dedicated, the Holy Spirit fills the tabernacle. Then we see in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, as soon as the temple is completed and Solomon prays and dedicates it, the Holy Spirit fills the temple. Well, now, in God's new temple work, not a tent, not brick and mortar, but a people, God fills the temple, which is you and me. God fills his people because we are where he wants to be. 
And now we have the last image, which takes us to the last uh, portion of verse 4, what I'm calling Holy Spirit babble. Let's just read the whole verse again. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, so the Holy Spirit fills them, and as a result, they're babbling some kind of language. And there is some debate over what were they babbling, right? Um, and so, and I'll, and I'll just say this. This is kind of, in my opinion, a neat and a beautiful thing, okay? And, and so this is also the interesting thing about having two services. And Charles uh, approached me and, and actually told me, has a little bit different interpretation than I do on this. And so I'm going to tell you the two of the, the predominant interpretations of what's happening here. Like what is specifically happening? And, and Charles was like super gracious and he's like, go ahead and talk about it anyway. So, um, but there's a point in that that I want to make. So on, uh, on, on one side, and this is my interpretation of it, that they were speaking by the Holy Spirit, human language, that the Cretans and the uh, Romans and Arabians and all of the different regions there that he mentions, that they're hearing in their own earthly language. That's, uh, that's my interpretation of the text. And Charles uh, takes it, and he's taught this before at Faith, that, uh, that this was a heavenly language. And I do believe there was such there is a heavenly language, and First Corinthians fourteen talks about that. And my and so we're we're on the same page on that one, and uh, that uh, that it's a heavenly language in First Corinthians chapter fourteen that God gives whenever somebody speaks in tongues. But Charles uh, Charles would make the point that in Acts two it's actually a heavenly language, but the Spirit enables an interpretation so that people can hear it in their own language even though it is a heavenly language as it's delivered. Uh, both sides are held, okay, so, uh, and, and both sides are reasonable. But here's a point that I want to make, okay, and this is something that I think is uh, underestimated by and, and overlooked by Christians. One of the chief works of the Holy Spirit is unity. And uh, we see this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. We were all baptized in one spirit, and put into one body, and we were given the one, the same spirit to drink. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And Christianity has an unfortunately long history of dividing over tertiary matters. This is, interpretively speaking, really makes no difference in our relationship with God. Now, if we disagreed about the Trinity or the nature of salvation, that would be a big issue and worth dividing over, honestly, right? But for this kind of thing, it's not. And so Charles said, go ahead and talk about it. And I just want to actually commend you for that, Charles, because it, it shows there's an open-handedness. And when, and when the Spirit moves in power, we need to have an open-handedness because one person's going to interpret it this way and another that way, like I'm talking about here, interpreting um, what's happening. And sometimes we're going to discern things. We need to have like a, a graciousness with one another because one of the chief works of the Spirit is to unify us. And it saddens me that so often it happens that the, that the very works of the Spirit intended to unify end up dividing us. And so we don't need to divide over secondary and tertiary matters. We can disagree on those kind of things. And, uh, and I, I like, you know, debating and talking about those things. And we can... Walk away without collateral damage. I mean, isn't that the way Christians are supposed to be? We really should be. So, so however one, you know, shakes this 
understanding out. The most important thing is not the what, but the why. What happens is they're speaking in tongues of some kind, but they're speaking of tongues, <laughs> right? But the why, why is this happening? Because God is reversing the judgment of Babel. God is reversing the judgment that happened at Babel. Are you familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11? Okay, so Genesis chapter 11, mankind unites together in order to build a tower that's really a temple tower. So it's the same sort of temple theme. It's like a temple tower. They called it a ziggurat. And it was sort of represented man's way of approaching God and his own wisdom and his own strength and his own hubris and pride. Okay? And so that was the Tower of Babel. And so what does God do? God, I mean, I don't know. It seemed like he should have just taken his hand and gone, bah! you know, like a toddler with Legos or something. Ah! You know? Um, but God is uh, much greater and glorious and wiser than a toddler. Okay, so... Um, God does something very different. He scrambles their speech. Because in Genesis chapter 1, he had told mankind to scatter across the face of the earth because they were supposed to subdue the earth. That is, to make it look like God was in charge. And, uh, and so instead of spreading across the face of the earth, they united together in rebellion against God. And God says, I'm going to have my way, guys. So he scrambles their speech, and they're like, I can't hang out with you. And they spread across the earth. And so, and so that's what happens. And I want to read you guys a little, uh, just sort of paragraph that I, I wrote that contrasts Babel and Pentecost. So here it is. It says, at Babel, man infringes on God's domain in heaven. At Pentecost, God invades man's domain at, on earth. At Babel, man unites in rebellion against God. At Pentecost, man unites in prayer to God. At Babel, God judges the nations by scrambling their speech. At Pentecost, God graces the nations by unscrambling speech. At Babel, God disperses the nations. At Pentecost, God disperses us to disciple nations. At Babel, man builds his temple to reach heaven. At Pentecost, God builds his temple to reach us. God wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. He's building his temple, but he will only be with us on his terms. And Babel represents man trying to achieve spiritual things, but on his own terms. And, and, and that's why God is so opposed to it. And, and the, the building project of Babel really is emblematic of all world religions in contrast with Christianity. Okay, where in world religions, you, you have keep the five pillars of Islam and keep them really well, and you won't really know until you die whether you got in or got out, but if you keep them really well, then you can go to paradise when you die. Or maybe it's the four noble truths of Buddhism, or maybe it's Hinduism, and you got to be really good, and you can reincarnate into something better, 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 better. Or, you know, every religion has this kind of language for be really good, and then maybe it will be good for you in the end. Christianity is different. Christianity, yes, we're to be good, we're to be holy, but we're not chasing a carrot on a stick. No, Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, cut the string, gave us the carrot, and now he says, go and serve me in holiness, not in order to achieve, but because you have received by grace through faith eternal salvation. 
In other words, this is something not that we do for God like the builders of Babel. This is something that God does for us. We see in the contrast between uh, Babel and Pentecost, on one side, man trying to go up, up, up in order to achieve some kind of divine status and in all honesty to rival God. But what we see in the gospel is not us going up, but we worship a God who came down. He came down in Jesus, and he came down lower than anyone imagined, not as a king in a royal palace, but he came down as a baby born into a manger and lived his whole life, and foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, and so he lives his life as this sort of homeless wanderer, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief and suffering, and then he goes to the cross. I mean, you can't get lower Then the cross, well, unless you count what comes next, the grave. And so this one that the world was to put their hope in gets so low. But again, this is the contrast. Every other religion, you know, work your way there in order to go up. But we worship a God who comes down to us. He comes down to us in Jesus in the incarnation. Down to us even lower in the cross. Down to us even lower in the grave and identifies with us in death. But three days later, he rises again. And then Jesus goes up because Jesus conquers all. And, and, and yet, even though he goes up, it doesn't mean that he's gone from us forever. And he sends his spirit down. The, Holy, or the scripture says the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit in our hearts, guaranteeing our inheritance, which is to come. And so he sends his Holy Spirit down. And so you see this contrast with world religions and Christianity, where religion is about what we do and the gospel is about what God has done. Religion is about us going up in order to achieve. The gospel is about a God who came down because all of us failed to achieve. All of us failed to be righteous. All are sinful and fall short of the glory of God, and God knows that. So he came and he identified with us in our sin and our suffering, and he bore the penalty of sin for us, and yet three days later rose again. And so we see the contrast. In fact, for this matter... For that matter, we, uh, we see even a contrast with secularism. I think this needs to be said in an American culture such as ourselves, our, our own culture, that's becoming less and less religious. And so while the Babel Project, it was a religious project, there, there was an interesting little uh, just phrase in Genesis chapter 11 uh, where it says that they came together to build a tower in order to, quote, make a name for themselves. This is going to contrast with Genesis chapter 12, where God is going to pluck uh, Abram out of Babylon, and he's going to make him a promise. He's going to make a covenant with Abraham, and that prom- part of that promise is going to be, I'm going to make your name great. And it's going to become this difference between, I'm going to work and I'm going to achieve, I'm going to make my name great, and I'm going to achieve legacy and significance for myself, versus I'm going to trust God for significance. And the gospel of secularism is you can be significant if you just make enough money, if you just succeed enough, if you're pretty enough, if you're smart enough, if you've done enough, if you're, if you're enough of whatever it is. And the message of the gospel is that none of us were enough. 
And you're going to exhaust yourself on that treadmill. And some of us in this room are exhausted trying to prove that we are enough. And the story of Babel is none of us are enough. But the story of the gospel is Jesus loves us anyways. He loves us anyways. And Jesus is enough. And when Jesus is enough for you, you're not worried about trying to prove that you're pretty enough or smart enough or, uh, or well-studied enough or whatever it is because Jesus is enough. And it is in him that you find your significance. And so I, I just want to point these things out because it, it's sort of the meta narrative of Scripture and of all of humanity that we're trying to prove ourselves and be great either in a secular or in a religious way. Or we have a God who comes down to us and promises us satisfaction and security and significance in him if we but trust in his promises. And so we have God creating this new temple with four manifestations, a windy house, fiery tongues, spirit-filled believers, and Holy Spirit babble. And all of this comes together to just slam home this point that God wants to be with us more than he ever wanted to be in a structure. He wants to be with you. The greatest truth I know is that Jesus loves me just like I am right now and that he wants to be my friend and he wants that for you too. And so that's what Pentecost is communicating. He's creating a new temple for his people, uh, for his spirit to dwell in. But now let's talk about the second half of this passage, verses 5 to 13. And we're going to see here the response to Pentecost, which will break down into three categories, confusion, amazement, and ridicule, beginning with confusion. And this is verse 6. Verse 6 says, and at the sound, uh, and at this sound, the multitude came together. So it was a really loud sound. There's a million pilgrims in Jerusalem at this time. It's basically Thanksgiving for Jewish people. And it's the Feast of Pentecost. Everybody's come together and they've all traveled and they hear this giant sound. What is going on? I live in Oklahoma now and, and there are tornadoes. And um, I found that in Oklahoma, people are not as scared of tornadoes as I thought they might be. <laughs> They're like, oh, tornadoes, I'm going out on the front porch. <laughs> That's what these people do. And so the sound and the multitude, they come together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, interestingly, that word bewildered in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 11, uh, it's the same word as confused, describing when God confused their speech at the Tower of Babel. So Luke's making another sort of hyperlink shout out to the Tower of Babel story. Um, and so the people are confused, and why are they confused? Because there's a whole bunch, and you heard John Wimmer, there's a, blah, 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 you know, everybody sounds like. Uh, making interesting noises, right? But uh, here the confusion is a little different than what we saw at Babel because at Babel they were confused because they suddenly didn't understand what their neighbor was saying. Here in Acts chapter two, they're confused because they do understand. And now they need somebody to explain this work of the Spirit. And this is a pattern in the book of Acts. And the pattern is God moves in power and then somebody explains. God moves in power, and then somebody explains. And uh, you see this, and so in verses 14 and following, 
uh, Peter is going to explain this work of the Spirit. He's going to put it in the context of, uh, uh, of Joel chapter 2 and a number of other Old Testament passages, and the outcome is going to be 3,000 people are saved. Acts chapter 3, Jesus is going to heal uh, a paralyzed man, and then all the people are going to come forward like, what is going on? And Peter's going to explain it once again. And, the, and this theme, it really goes back to Acts 1, uh, well, we could say Acts 1, 1, uh, where it speaks of, uh, of what Jesus began to do and teach in his earthly ministry. The point of the book of Acts is that Jesus is continuing to do and teach. And so he does miracles and works by the Holy Spirit, and then it is the job and the commission of the church to then explain those things. And that's why in Acts 1.8, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Power is supposed to lead into proclamation. And, and I think this is a mistake that the charismatic church has too often made. We're just like, we're, we're content for just like, just give me power. But the power is supposed to actually lead to something. It's supposed to lead to a proclamation. Now the cessationist church has made uh, an error on the other side. And for them, they have changed Acts 1.8 to say, and you will receive really cool strategies and tactics for evangelism when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But Luke shows us what he means by power, and it's not that. Luke shows us that power means signs and wonders, and it means revelations from God. And I've studied every single conversion in the book of Acts. Almost all of them are tied to a miracle. So why do we think that we're going to win the lost world for Christ without any power? And so we see this marriage of what you might call word and spirit. The spirit moves in power, and then we're to use our words to explain what that means. So we don't descend into charismania on one side by not explaining it, but we also don't descend into cessationism. I'll say it that way. I don't care by denying the spirit's work today. Um, and so we want to be careful on both sides. A little, little story that will, I think, explain the importance of explaining power. Um, I was at a, a local burger joint in Oklahoma, and, and, uh, and I, I went there, and I try to listen to the Lord whenever I go out uh, places and, uh, and just, like, see what is he saying for this person. So this waitress is, uh, is serving us, and, uh, and I'm listening to the Holy Spirit for, uh, for her, and, and so I just say to her, I say, hey, this might sound a little weird. Sometimes God speaks to me. And sometimes he speaks to me for people. I felt like he spoke to me for you. Would you mind if I share that with you? And she says, okay. And, uh, and so I proceed and I share with her. I said, I felt like a friend recently came to you and that, that she came to you for counseling and it was like a really deep issue that you're such an empathetic person that it was almost like overwhelming to you, this issue. But it was also emblematic of, of what keeps happening to you. Like people see how much compassion you show as well as the kind of wisdom uh, that you share and they just keep coming to you over and over and over again. And it's like I just sense this overwhelm uh, uh, related to that specific issue and I just felt like the Lord wanted you to know that, that God's given you that as a gift and, that, uh, and to just be encouraged and, uh, and he wants to give you the kind of uh, power and ability to, to sustain that and, and to continue to give the way you have been. Something to that effect. And... Um, and her exact words were, that really hits hard. And I could see she like kind of needed to compose herself. So she, uh, she walked away and, uh, and then, you know, I enjoyed my burger. And, 
she came back, and I made a little bit of small talk, and, uh, and then the meal was over, and then I left. And then the Holy Spirit convicted me, and he said, Michael, I just visited you with power. I just told you the secrets of somebody's heart. I just opened a wide door for the gospel, and you walked away and didn't share it. And I just repented. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. I just was so interested in, in seeing the miracle and seeing God do the thing that I, I didn't even follow up in the greater miracle of, of seeking after conversion. Like, Lord, I'm just so sorry. But that's why power needs witness to go with it. That's why proclamation needs demonstration that these two should be married together. And, uh, and so I share that with like a, a negative example about myself to say, like, uh, just to say, like, we can all fall into this trap, but let's marry these together. That's what Peter does. And, and it's how we avoid the confusion that happens. Confusion will be inevitable, inevitable when the Holy Spirit moves, but we have to be prepared to explain and to move into proclamation. And so we have confusion. The second one is amazement. Verse 7, it says, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, and those two words mean the same thing, of course, are saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Okay, so they're amazed, first of all, that they're hearing the gospel proclaimed in their own language. And, and that's sort of like the surface level amazement right there. And that already, you know, we talk about signs and wonders, signs point to Jesus. That's what miracles are always for, uh, not just to kind of give us a little miracle sideshow, but to point to Jesus. And then wonders produce awe inside of us. And so they're feeling that sense of awe, uh, that sense of, to, to borrow the words of the waitress, that hits hard. Like they're, they're like, wow, something's really happening here. But this would not have dawned on those who experienced this in Acts chapter 2, although it has dawned on Many who have read this passage later over thousands of years as the Holy Spirit speaks through his word that there is an, an additional wonder in this text that goes beyond the original wonder that people felt as they heard the gospel preached in their own language. And so what is that next wonder? Well, we can see it in verses 9 through 13 where uh, he begins to talk about Parthians and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, etc. It's like, why does Luke take take the time to list what he calls in verse 5, every nation under heaven. Well, uh, many scholars and theologians have noted that Luke is working his way around the compass from the east to the, uh, the Parthians, to the north, Cappadocia, to the west, Rome, and to the south, in Egypt. And, and he is subtly communicating that the promises of the Old Testament, the Jewish person would have been very familiar with, that God was going to bring back the diaspora Jews, that he was going to regather his people from the north, the south, the east, and the west, the four points of the compass. In fact, Jesus even references this in Matthew chapter 8. And he says, that the, in the kingdom of God, people are going to come from the north, south, the east, and the west. And so he'll go through the four points of the compass. So the deeper and additional wonder that's taking place here is that God is fulfilling his promises by beginning to regather his people as he forms a new temple. And so there's an amazement, and then there's a deeper amazement that Luke is trying to communicate. But these are responses to the Holy Spirit's movement and power. And now we come to the last one, 
the last response to the Holy Spirit's movement is ridicule. Ridicule. Verse 13 says, But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Now, some people have read this text. I mean, you guys ever heard of, about, quote, getting drunk in the Spirit? Okay? And so a lot of charismatic folks will talk about this, and they take this as a permission to, to try to act crazy. Um, they, there, there's one teacher who will stand up and he'll kind of like stumble around and he'll, uh, he'll pretend to like literally like snort a Holy Spirit line of Coke. And I'm like, he'll talk about drink, we got to drink some vodka and smoke the Jehovah Wana. I mean, he, he gets to the point of like, yeah, is silly, weird, disrespectful, all those things. But he comes from a drug culture and, you know, if you're trying to say the Holy Spirit satisfies in a way that these drugs don't, amen to that. I, I agree with you. But to suggest that Luke is trying to instruct to us that we're to go out and try to be drunk in the Spirit in these ways, that is not at all what this passage is teaching. The purpose of verse 13 is not to excuse our acting ridiculous. <laughs> Rather, what's happening is God is warning the mocker, do not ridicule the work of the Spirit. And the way he's doing this, the way he's mocking the mocker, is he's placing his truth in their mouths, but not in a way that saves. They say, you guys are filled with new wine. Well, this was an Old Testament metaphor, an image of this new covenant age that would be characterized by spiritual prosperity, by a greater presence of the Holy Spirit. And so they were right. They were filled with new wine, but not in a way that they imagined. And so God places his truth in their mouths, but not in a way that saves. Same idea happens in John chapter 11 when Caiaphas, the high priest, says, hey, it's better that one man die for the nation than that the whole nation perish. He didn't know he was prophesying that day that Jesus was, going to, uh, Jesus was actually going to die for Israel and not just Israel, but for all nations. And so this is, verse 13 is actually put in here as a way of God mocking the mocker. And I just want to, uh, to exhort you, if you're here today, that if we are so blessed to experience a move of the Holy Spirit, if you're blessed here at Faith Church or in whatever church that you go to, be very careful against adopting the position of the skeptic. Because the skeptic, because, and again, I said this earlier with Asbury, if you can reach a place where you're, you're looking at Gen Z repenting of their sins, seeking holiness and worshiping Jesus and call it the devil, then nothing is gonna satisfy you. You see, there, there's a posture of skeptic we have to be careful of. And I'll be honest, like I like being a reasonable person. So uh, when weird stuff happens, it makes me uncomfortable too. So we just have to be really careful. Like be discerning, but don't go to that place of skeptical. And so you say, well, how do we do it? How, do we, how can we avoid charismania and stoic, rigid fundamentalism? And here's what I would say. I would say be a fruit inspector. Inspect the fruit. Pay attention. What is the fruit of this? And of course, that's, that's what the skeptics are saying about Asbury. And they're saying, well, some of them are saying, well, we'll have to see three months, six months, a year down the road, whether it's, this is a move of the Holy Spirit. Again, the fruit is already being born because people are repenting and worshiping Jesus. That, that actually is fruit. 
Uh, Jonathan Edwards looked uh, in, in his day, and he was a cessationist. But people were falling out under the spirit and having intense visions. He called them imaginations because he was a cessationist. But, uh, uh, and, and what he said was, if somebody has one of these manifestations, they're shaking, they're crying out, and any of these things, you, he, he says, you can't tell whether it was God or the devil or just their own flesh just by seeing the fact that they flopped on the ground. That's Michael's language, not Jonathan Edwards, right? But... <laughs> Just by seeing the fact, maybe, it's, maybe they made it up. Maybe they're an exhibitionist. Maybe it's the devil or maybe it's the Holy Spirit. So you don't, you don't know, but he, what he goes back to is pay attention to the fruit. Does it exalt Jesus? Does it point to the scripture? Uh, does it result in a transformed life and a greater love for God and a greater love for people? And he walks through uh, these different evidences. And so paying attention to the fruit, and, and, and this is the same thing and I, uh, from Matthew chapter 11, when, when he says, you rejected John's ministry and you rejected my ministry, but wisdom is justified by our children. And in other words, the, what does it produce? What is the offspring? What is the fruit of it? And so that's what we have to pay attention to in order to be able to discern, not, not skeptically, not gullibly, but to actually discern. Pay attention. What is the fruit of this? Uh, this is what John Wimber did on May 12th. And... Uh, and so I'll tell you the rest of that story. So John Wimber, it's May 11th, and, and he's still angry over what's happened. He's thinking he's going to lose his church or his church is going to be divided. And, uh, and as, as he's weighing these things, he begins to just read Scripture and, uh, and just kind of pray and meditate and open his spirit. Okay, Lord, what are you doing? And he sees, okay, a few places in the Scripture where somebody falls down under the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I guess it's possible. Um, and a lot of speaking in tongues in there. I, that's definitely, I guess, possible. Uh, and he starts reading John Wimber's journal from the revival. And he starts to see all the same kinds of manifestations that he's seeing in his meeting. And he's starting to get a little more encouraged, like maybe it's possible. Well, then he gets a phone call. And this is, by this point, it's May 12th, early, very early. And uh, it's, so it's early on May 12th. And he receives a phone call from a pastor a, a Calvary Chapel in Denver named Tom, Tom Stipe, and this is what Stipe says to him. He says, John, the Lord woke me up, and he told me to call you and to give you a message, which is this. John, this is of me. He had no idea what had happened the previous day, but God deposited that in spirit. This is of me, and that gave Wimber just what he needed to say, okay, I'm going to embrace it. So he goes to his staff the next day. He says, guys, I'm going to please God, not people. And so uh, I'm going to say this was a move of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to embrace it. We're going to, we're going to roll with it. And so they roll with it, and, uh, and, and the Holy Spirit continues to move, and young people begin to fan out from their church, and they're praying over people and prophesying and evangelizing in the streets and in parks and parking lots. People are literally falling out in parks and parking lots. And uh, over the course of May to September, their church of 700 baptized 700 more people in this move of the Holy Spirit as God extended the boundary of his new temple from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Anaheim, California. And he's still extending his temple today as we proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, I don't know what you call that story, but I call it fruit. I call it the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit 
will sometimes be weird, but the fruit of the Spirit is always good. You might say, well, Michael, why does it have to be sometimes weird? Well, here's what Wimber says about it. He says, sometimes God offends the mind to reveal the heart. And that's what a move of the Holy Spirit does from Pentecost to Asbury. Every move of the Holy Spirit reveals our hearts. But here's what we need to know. Jesus' friends are not offended by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for today and uh, bless your holy name. And, uh, and so, Lord, we just, uh, we just ask for you. Lord, I just ask for you to, uh, worship band, you can come on up, and Dawson, you can come on up. God, we ask you to, be, to give us a move of the Holy Spirit here in Statesville. Lord, you, you love to move outside of the normal structures. You moved outside of the temple into some random dude's house that nobody even knows his name today. Lord, you moved through a man of Nazareth. Lord, you love to move in ways and places that shock and surprise the everyday person. You are a God of the extraordinary. And so, Lord, we pray for more, more of your Holy Spirit here in Statesville. If there's anyone here, and I just want to ask this, if there's anyone here that you've been away from God, you've not trusted Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to give you a new life, would you raise your hand right now? I just want to pray for you. Anyone that you, you would like to receive the forgiveness of, of sins, I see that. Praise God. I see that. Praise God. God's moving. Anybody else? Anybody that maybe you knew God a while ago, but you want to just come back to him? He's calling you home. Is he calling you home? Raise your hand. That's you. See that? See that? Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. Lord, we repent of our sins. We turn from them and we trust in you. We trust you, Jesus, to forgive us of our sins and to give us a brand new life. So Lord, we give ourselves over to you. This is good for all of us to pray. We give ourselves completely to you. We surrender ourselves totally to you. And we ask that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to live this new life bless you guys who raised your hand. Luke 15 says that there are parties in heaven every time a sinner repents. So, uh, so praise God for that. I want to encourage those of you who did raise your hand to uh, come up, talk to me, or come talk to Charles uh, after the service. Uh, but, uh, but as we're uh, closing, I just want to take a moment and just um, Dawson, have you, have you been listening to the Lord and uh, do you feel like you have some things or should we pause and listen for a moment? Okay, so we're, uh, what we're gonna do is we're just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to move, okay? We're gonna ask him to speak and uh, we're not totally sure what he wants to do, but we just wanna ask him. And so, uh, so Lord, 
we ask you, Lord, is there, is there any other work that you want to do in our hearts uh, for individuals or for uh, this group here together? Lord, I pray that you would show us. We wait for you and we listen for you. Lord, speak. We're just going to wait here for a moment. By the way, this is Dawson. If you don't know Dawson, if you're at the conference, you know Dawson. Uh, Dawson does research for Remnant Radio and uh, speaks at conferences with us. So, um, such as this first conference we've ever done. <laughs> so, uh, Dawson, what did you feel like the Lord was saying to you? I had a word first for him and then a general word. Um, I just was looking out over everybody and the Lord kind of directed me to you and judge this for what it's worth. I just saw just a, a kind heart for children and uh, you have a joy and an ability to, to, be, uh, to be joyful and it's like a childlike joy and the Lord loves that kind of childlikeness that you have and just wants to just remind you that it's just a beautiful thing so enjoy it okay does, does that resonate with you <laughs> who said that oh are you saying it resonates for you or are you saying it resonates you know it is true of him okay praise God alright <laughs> okay praise God alright well um, I'll just right next to you. Um, and then what are, what are y'all's names? I like to ask. Lloyd and Stephanie. Okay. And I, I always like to ask names because we always want to be accountable for, for what we say and, uh, and to get feedback. And, um, and so Stephanie, um, I, I felt like the Lord gave me this, this statement. I mean, it's a common uh, saying in our culture, but it's bloom where you're planted. And I, I felt like there was, uh, I just felt like the Lord was speaking that over you, bloom where you're planted. 
And then uh, I actually saw this flower bloom and this bird kind of like came and took some nectar and flew away and it, like I saw it go in this like faraway house. And I just felt like um, by being where you are, that God is blessing people even far away from you. Can we get some feedback? What does that mean? Yeah. want you just to know that um, even the impulse to sell everything and go like he loves the gospel go in you he loves that your immediate impulse is like I'm going to the nation um, like that is a God thing inside of you and you'll you'll see reward for that one day but there's uh, there's more work for you here uh, right now in this season and uh, and the Lord's gonna bless that and uh, and it's actually I mean, I saw it's like the bird went to this faraway house. So there's a, it, it doesn't just mean that there's work for you to do here and you'll, you'll bless your circle here. There's a way that the Lord will use you to bless nations uh, even from here. Yeah, so praise God. That's awesome, yes. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing. Uh, throughout the whole service, uh, the first service, everything was okay. But then the second service, my feet kept on getting extremely, extremely cold. And I was like, this is unusual. Never had that happen. And I can be dense sometimes. And I was like, maybe I should ask the Lord. And I said, Lord, why, why are my feet cold? And he said, because there's some people in here who have cold feet. And I asked the Lord, well, what do you mean? And he reminded me of Romans 10. And then he reminded me of where Romans 10, the quote there comes from. This is the quote, the beautiful are the feet that bring the gospel. And that's from Nahum uh, 115. And in 115, it ends the sentence with proclaim peace. So I want to encourage everyone to what you've seen this week, what you've seen now, what you're seeing here. Go out there and go into the gospel. Go with the gospel. Don't have cold feet. Amen. Don't have cold feet. Amen. Go with the gospel. If God tells you to do something, do it. God tells you to, to say something to someone, makes you look weird, do it. Amen. Don't have cold feet. Amen. And let's pray peace. I want. I felt like to have you pray peace to do that. Like okay. Shalom. Okay. That. So peace. Uh, peace to like not have cold feet and to not have peace. fear to not have fear about it. okay yeah and just really quickly when I was looking over here I felt like the Lord was communicating to me like maybe someone in this section has like numbness of face does anyone have like numbness in their face over here you do 
Okay. I'd love to pray for you too. Just when I looked over there, that just kind of went off, numbness in the face. So, um, and what is your name? Bethany. Okay. Guys, let's all just join in prayer for Bethany. Bethany, sometimes the, the reason the Lord will sort of single that out and while I was looking in that area is because he wants to build faith in you and in the room that'll actually heal this. Okay. Do you feel numbness right now or is it on again, off again? Okay. You have it right there. Okay. Could you just put your, like just a couple fingers right there and, um, and we just want to, we just want to pray for you. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Bethany. I thank you that you know the secrets of hearts and that you uh, and that you called out this numbness of face because you want it to be healed and you care about everything. Jesus, you, hear, you healed paralytics and you also healed a fever. Lord, you heal things big and small and everything in between. And, uh, and Bethany, if you've ever told yourself like this is not a big enough deal to ask God, I just feel like the Lord just wants you to know. Um, he wants you to bring everything to him because he's your father loves you. And so, Father, I just pray healing for her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, and Jesus, you tell us to tell a, a mountain to be moved, and it'll be moved if we have the faith. And so, Lord, I just command in the name of Jesus, I command numbness in the face to go now and never come back. Command, uh, I command uh, healing power to come over her by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, touch Bethany's face, remove the numbness. I speak to any nerves in there uh, that, are, that are just not quite right. I say, come into alignment with the kingdom of God. Bethany, be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Bethany, are you feeling anything in your face right now? You can feel it. Oh, praise God. You don't feel that either. Okay. Praise God. Praise God. Father, we thank you that you're a miracle-working God, and I just pray uh, that you would just continue to minister to Bethany, uh, Lord. And, uh, and, and Bethany, I just want to encourage you that um, this, this kind of thing doesn't just happen. The Lord's doing this. If you feel anything later, just say, Lord, I just bring this back to you. And, and move in faith. And Jesus would, would sometimes coach people in the same kinds of ways. And so, uh, and so I just want to say, like, just continue to move in faith. And uh, I really believe this was from the Lord and, uh, and that the, the pain is just gone. And so, Father, we just praise you for that. We praise you that you're a healing and miracle-working God. Thank you, Father, uh, for healing Bethany's face. And Lord, uh, and, Lord, I just pray for everybody in this room Lord, any of us who has cold feet about going out and doing what you have called us to do, I pray that in place of fear, that you would give us your perfect peace. In the name of the Lord Jesus, fill our hearts with perfect peace. And Lord, we, we repent for where we've been too afraid uh, to, to boldly go out and to, and to share your good news and do what you've called us to do. Lord, we're sorry for where we've done that, but we ask for the grace to, uh, to, to move forward and to obey you and give us total peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Dawson. My, uh, my old pastor mentor used to tell me, he's like, if you bring in a guest speaker, it's a win-win-win. He's all, the first win is that you don't have to prep a message that week. And he's all, and the second win is if they're worse speaker than you, then everybody's like, oh, we have such a good pastor. But if you bring in somebody that's better than you, then the church can say, we bring in the big guns. And we brought in the big guns this morning with Michael and, and Dawson. Thank you for your prophetic ministry. Um, that has been, that was awesome. Um, if you'd stand with me as we close. feel like that particular word for Stephanie is, is also a corporate word for those who have come from out of town, who came to the conference and are here this morning. I believe that word of bloom where you are planted is for you to go back, to be planted, and to bloom. To go uh, to your churches, to your neighborhoods, to your workplaces and let God do the work and in your obedience to what he wants to do you will see the bloom you will see the fruit so Father I just, I, I just pray this morning that what you are doing here in our church in the churches of the people who have come from out of town uh, in, in, in these places like Asbury, Texas A&M, all these other universities, Father, let it just expand. Let it expand with your power, Lord, and, and bring the people along to bring the explanation. You use uh, your spirit and then give us the words, Lord. God, you are so good. You are so good. I thank you that you, you love us died for us, you see us, you know us, you call us son and daughter, you are not ashamed. So Father, just bless us as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming. Be blessed as you leave Faith Church. We'll see you next week.